Well, hello, everyone. It is Ephesians 6 time. So would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for this opportunity again to be able to go into your word and to really have it come alive into our hearts. Father, we want to know about what can empower us to be able to live victorious, even in the kind of world we live in and sometimes in our difficult situations and circumstances. Father, we do not want to go skidding down. We do not have we do not want to fall back into our old ways. Father, we don't want to fall into our weaknesses again. Father, we want to have the strength and the power that you have promised us. Father, thank you for the teaching that we will have today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true, and it is all that I need. Last week, we were, we were told to be imitators of God. Our behavior is so important. And so um, in the, um, Ephesians 4 and 5, we were given strict instructions on how to live. In fact, I, mean, I think there was one point that I really wanted to stress, and that is that we cannot possibly think that we can deliberately live in our sin I mean, we all fall short, we do, but um, when we deliberately, when we know we've been convicted and we deliberately want to stay in our sin, we, we can't think that the Lord is going to let that go. In fact, it doesn't even show that our heart has been changed. It doesn't even show that we love him so much that we do not want to hurt him. Remember in, in two chapters ago, we were taught how we can grieve the Holy Spirit, and, and that should matter to us, that we grieve him after all what, the, what God has done, and then we know that we can grieve the Holy Spirit by how we act or what we do or say, and, and, and then in last week's lesson, we were taught to find a way. You go find out what pleases him. So it's only one or two. You can either you can either live a life that grieves him, and and that and maybe it doesn't even matter to you. And then I would have to say you better take a look at what your savior is. He really your savior? Have you really acknowledged what Calvary has done, or do you really wanna? please him. Find out how you can please him. That's what Paul said last week. And then he said, have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness. In other words, don't go back to that old way. Um, but anyways, then, then we go into this week's lesson, and um, we ended last week with now he's showing us how to deal with people close to us, people um, in our families. Um, how how should the family operate? And it kind of kind of ran over into chapter six. And so today's lesson is: as children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Last week we saw how wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. You know, I said be be sub submissive, be on a submission, be. Be on a mission to do what the Lord has asked you to do. These are the terms. This is the way he set it up. This is the order from Genesis 3. This is the way it works. It doesn't mean anybody's littler or um, that amounts to less than the other. It just means let's follow what the Lord has set up. It will go so much smoother. And then husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So he, he couldn't have given us better demonstration of, of how we are to operate within the family. And, and he's showing us, if you do this, this is the way the family works well. This is how the team gets along and how, how it, it, it just runs smoothly. And then today it's, okay, children, now you obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And, and you know, um, <laughs> obedience has to be taught. It, it is something that that children need to learn what it means to obey. And sometimes they have to learn the hard way. Sometimes um, it takes a while. But this is something we have to teach them because disobedience that doesn't have to be taught because disobedience pretty much is 
I'm going to do it my way, no matter what you've said. And children don't need to be taught how to do that. It is a me, myself, and I world. And already as, as toddlers, children learn that. But we need to teach them how to obey. And so here it is. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then honor your father and your mother. Honor your father and mother. So children, we learn to obey. And then when we get older, even though adult children, probably we don't fall into that. We don't have to obey them. But um, sometimes I, I wonder, does that really run out? Um, when, when we honor our parents, when, when no matter how old they get, you know, some of their teaching, um, it's still wonderful, and they mean well, and they, they, they have our best interest in mind. And, you know, sometimes we think, well, we're adults now, we don't have to listen. But sometimes they are wiser than what we give them credit for. And, um, you know, honor your father and mother. I looked that word up, and, and that's, it just simply means highly respected. And, and maybe you're thinking, well, you don't know what my parents were like. And, you know, I Paul doesn't give any exceptions. He just says, children, you obey your parents. Um, parents, you you instruct your children in the ways of the Lord, and, and you teach them how to obey. And then, and then honor. And that's a commandment. That's not a suggestion in the Ten Commandments. It's honor your father and mother. And it says, which is the first commandment with a promise. And the promise is that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, you know, of course, we can always, we can always say, well, I know so, such a person and, and they were wonderful parents and they had wonderful children and, and they left this earth way too early. But I don't think it's so much the timing it's that when from last week to this week, when Paul's teaching us how the family should work together, it, it will work smoothly when, when we follow the instructions that the Lord set up. And then what he's saying here, he says, and the promises that you may, that it may go well with you. I think we would have such less trouble. We would have such less friction would have, would have such less um, estrangement in relationships. But when self sneaks in there, and, and when someone hurts us, and, and we haven't followed the instructions about forgiving, and, you know, really, this letter that Paul wrote covers so much of life. And not only how we are to be, but how we are to deal with people. And here, how we're to work as a family unit. And then he says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Now, why he said fathers, maybe back then, you know, fathers maybe um, had more of a voice and, and had a, more of a tendency to exasperate their children and and. Nowadays, I think if we can say mothers, we have a tendency, I think if my sons were honest, they'd say I probably exasperated them more than Tom did. But um, I, what, what Paul is just trying to say here is that, you know, when you exasperate means intensely, intensely um, irritate or frustrate or maybe overly critical. Um, over expectations, too much pressure. Um, you can kind of see it in today's world and why this instruction really is so important. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. I read something this week that I want to pass on to you because, you know, Sometimes parents go to the opposite extreme, and then, then oh, that's all they do is encourage, encourage, encourage. And, you know, their children don't do anything wrong, and, and they're the best at everything. And, and, you know, that's not so wise either, because children need to learn that um, we lose sometimes. Sometimes we lose a ball game. Sometimes we're not the best at a certain thing. And we have to learn that too. So what I, th what I saw this week is that whether you're encouraging 
or they need to be rebuked or disciplined. You must combine, you must combine that with using training and teaching as well. And that made sense to me. So whether you're encouraging a child or whether rebuking, you take that time to not just leave it there, but use it as an opportunity to train and to teach. And I thought that was such good advice because sometimes we're either just praising them and or we're just saying, you know, that you, you didn't do that right. And But we should expound on that and use that as an opportunity to kind of to train and teach them as well, whether they lost a game and then it's time to train and teach them that this is life and you're going to get hurt and sometimes people are mean and, and those kinds of things. So anyway, I just thought I'd pass that on to you. And then he goes on after he developed the family relationship. Then he went into the, the work environment. Now here he says, slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. Um, you know, we don't have that today, but if you just kind of, you know, kind of replace slaves with employee, you know, um, this is a work environment. When you're in a working environment, then workers obey your, your master, obey your boss. Maybe, maybe you don't like him. Maybe you don't like the way he runs the operation. But we must remember that he is the boss. And he is the one who, who has this company or whatever. And so what is the responsibility of an employee is, again, no exceptions. You just obey your, your employer and you respect and you fear, you fear them. I mean, they're, that, that's the, a respect. You're, you you re respect their position. You expect their authority. And, and you, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Didn't Paul put that in such a good way? Because sometimes, I mean, haven't you been in a store? I've been in Myers sometime, and I see a couple of boys standing there, and they're just a bickering away, and this is wrong, and this is wrong, and so-and-so did this, and, and they want me to do this, and I don't have time, and, and on and on. You can't help, help but hear that. And I know sometimes it is very hard to be an employee, and, and when you do have a difficult employer, but... Paul puts it in such a way that um, do it as that you're doing it for the Lord. That even as mundane as this job is, you should be grateful you have a job and grateful that you have the health and the strength to be able to do it. And it is giving you the, the money that you need to survive. And I mean, look at the blessings. And, and when you do something as unto the Lord, it's like you want to do your best. You want to give it your best. He deserves the best. So when the when Paul put it that way, it sure does kind of shape you up, doesn't it? When you when you think about how to work under uh, the authority or under an, a difficult employer, he goes on and says, "Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, do the will of God from your heart." You know, I heard once too that integrity is how you are when no one's looking. It's easy to be impressive when people are watching, but integrity, your character, that, that character trait of integrity is when no one else is watching because you know the Lord is. No matter whether no one is visibly watching, we know that the Lord is always watching our behavior, our attitude, our motive. And so when he says that Obey them to win their favor. Let them see that you're a good worker even when you're working alone and you're not trying to shirk any responsibility. You're not, you're not lazy. You'll give, you'll give a, a full day's work for a full day's pay. You don't try to, you know, try to steal from them. And then he said, serve wholeheartedly. Serve, serve the best you can as if you were serving the Lord, not men. 
So he kind of repeats himself there. That's important. What a different working environment it could be. Maybe you'll see a difference in the employer's actions and his attitude and his temperament when he sees this in you. I think it just makes such good sense. And then he says, you know, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. The Lord is always watching, and we can't stress that enough because I think we forget it too quickly that he is always watching and not only watching our actions, but he can see what we're thinking and he knows that little chip on our shoulder or that attitude. And, and he, he, here Paul is saying, do something about that. You have the very Holy Spirit working inside of you. You can make a choice here. You can say, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to, this is one of those kind of behavior traits that I want to get rid of. I want to work so that my employer can be so glad that he hired me because I am really grateful for this job. I might not like the job so much, but I'm doing it as unto the Lord. And then he has a verse, too, about, okay, how about you employers? How about you owners um, and masters? Treat your, your employees the same way. I mean, you really would not have an operation going if you didn't have workers. I mean, how many of you don't ride around town and you see the signs in in every store, in every factory, in every restaurant. I mean, they're hiring on the spot. Some places can't even open because they don't have workers. I went to the dollar store the other day and a big sign on the door says, we're not opening till noon because we don't have any workers to work the morning shift. So, you know, we, we can see that, you know, if you have a, a, a company or if you have a store or your manager, you know how important workers are. So here he says, all right, why don't you treat them the same way that you want to be treated? It's, just, it's the same thing. Always treat someone the way you would like to be treated. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. Uh, you know, I looked at that verse, and I thought, really, you know, what does that mean for every boss? No matter how high they are in the company, I don't care who they are, do you know that they still have a boss? Because everybody, everybody is underneath the Lord Jesus. And I don't care how much and how, how uh, you know, exorbitant is your company and how impressive it is and, you know, how, how many um, blocks it might take to, to operate your operation. You know, I think you get my point. Every earthly person has a boss. But I... I think it's the, what Paul is trying to say. We need order. We need levels. We need that, that someone is in charge and calling the final shot, the buck stops here kind of thing. We, we need that because otherwise it would be complete chaos. And sometimes when I listen to young people complain and complain, you know, about their working stuff and their environment and all that, I'm thinking, you know, you don't even realize yet. When you get older, you will see, you will see how good you really had it or what a great opportunity this really was or, you know, what a good experience it was. So often I hear too, you know, kids when they when they get hired, they they think that that you know they should be working, you know, they should work their way right up quick. I mean, you know, they know everything, and Paul is just trying to say that there are levels, and when you come in at a early stage, you've gotta you've gotta learn how to, well, you gotta pay your dues. You've gotta learn the ropes. You can't just waltz in there and act like you own the place. You've got to know your place. 
and you can learn. And, and what Paul is just trying to say in these kind of, it's a kind of relationship rules is it would run so much smoother if we just listened to the way God set it up. And then in verse 10, in verse 10, he, he basically is coming to a close in his letter, and he has had a full, full letter. And so when we started with chapter 1, and now all the, almost to the end of chapter 6, he uses the word finally. I mean, he, he has given us the instructions that we need. Finally. This is how, this is how you do it. Finally, this is, and, and he kind of, by using that one word, finally, I kind of went back and thought, okay, why did he say finally? Finally, now you know what God has done for you. That was chapter one. Praise the Lord for, for the blessings that you've been given from the heavenly realms. Who you are in Christ Jesus Finally, you realize what God has done for you. And then another, finally, finally, you now know that you ha have a glorious standing as a child of God. You now have that label. Now, now finally, you know that, that you're part of this great plan that God set up. And you're a part of it through Jesus and the cross and the Holy Spirit Finally, you also have learned that Christians need to mature and grow. And he will, he will help you do that. But you can, you've got to make every effort. Paul said, I urge you, I insist upon, this is serious. You, you've got to keep growing. You've got to keep learning. You've got to keep knowing more. So that you will trust and relinquish self more. And then finally, he says, you know, he, this is the conduct. Now that you know the conduct that God expects you to live in, he expects you to live like this. When you remember when he says, get rid of bitterness. And the, in that one chapter, it was just so clear. This is not the behavior he expects. Ephesians is just so full and and. So now finally, you know that. You know the conduct that he calls his believers to live in. Finally, you know that you can't do it on your own. And so the Holy Spirit is, you can, you can ask for that refill. The Holy Spirit will never leave you. But sometimes when self kind of pushes him aside, we fill ourselves up with self. And he said, finally, you know that that is not going to take you to a good place. So you know that the spirit needs to be in full control and you walk in the spirit. And now he's saying, finally, because you know this now, I want you to know that you are in a battle. You are in a battle against your own self, which the devil just loves to use. And, you know, are you going to do it God's way or are you going to do it your own way? So that's why he, that finally said, remember, remember what you've learned in this letter. Now, this is how you do it. This is, you need to be strong in the Lord. You can't, this is not for weaklings. You've got to be strong in the Lord. And how can you become stronger? It's what you're doing right now. As you have your Bibles open and you are listening and you want to know, you want to hear him speak to you and instruct you. You want to hear his commands. I know we bristle against somebody telling us what to do and how to do it, but, but we've also seen in this letter, Paul says, you've got to grasp how, how long and how high and how deep and wide is his love for you. And you've got to keep desiring to know that more and more. And then you watch how this Bible can instruct you and those commands can cause you to find such strength. Look, at strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
we can have power. We can, we can do it. We can do it. We don't, have to, we don't have to stoop and shy underneath and back away, no matter what kind of personality you have. No matter how physically strong or weak you really are, we're talking about a spiritual strength that through it all, we can trust in Jesus. We can depend on his word. You cannot neglect his word. You cannot. You have to be studying. You just need to see how important it is to give the Lord some good time. Remember we talked about, I repeat, about how grieving the Holy Spirit when we didn't have any time for him and we came up with such good excuses because we did we had a full day of doing such good things. But he, uh, he saw that you you didn't have time for him. And as good of things and as good of activities as we did, we need to cut out time in our day because it's essential that we keep growing in him. And that will make us stronger. And we will experience his mighty power so we don't cave when the world throws us some curves, when Satan has, has throws us a real surprise. When all of a sudden we realize that life is not going the way I expected, you need to have his strength and his power. Otherwise, we fall underneath it. And then we feel the despair. And we give up. So when Paul says, finally, start and repeat the beginning of this letter that I wrote to you and I've shown you everything. Now, finally, this is how you accomplish it. You can have strength of power you put on. Every morning, you get dressed. Every morning, you decide what clothes to wear that will fit the, the day and where you're going. Do you think as much, and I think even more so, do you consider putting on every morning before you start your day? You put on, because that's what Paul said, you put on the full armor of God. Now, he will go through the specifics in just a minute, but he says, you want that strength? Do you want that mighty power? Do you want to face your circumstances head on? You don't want to buckle under the pressure of life? Well, you need to put on that full armor of God, and he's given it to you. But he, like everything else, he doesn't make you put it on. You have to want it. You have to put it on. Just like you had to come to the cross. You have to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. See, the devil seems so powerful, and he is, and he's tricky, and he's sneaky, and he knows where, where our weaknesses are, and he knows where to hit us in our own self. He knows that we usually are, we just crumble when we, it's so easy to fall to ourselves. He's scheming, and that, I love the way Paul used these words. We can take our stand. Because greater is the Holy Spirit, the power of God that lives in me than he that lives in this world who is scheming. A, a scheming is like a, a system or a plan putting a particular idea into effect. A particular idea. Putting a certain idea. You know what Satan's idea is? You know what the devil's idea? You know what he's scheming to do? You know what his particular plan and system is? His goal, his goal is to keep you and I from everything that Jesus has for us. Of course, first of all, you know, he doesn't even want us and he'll do whatever he can so that we do not, when we hear the gospel, that we respond with a yes. He would much rather tempt our own self and say, I don't need that. I, I can do it. 
Confession and repentance is embarrassing. I don't want people to know that about me. So he's scheming that that's what you will believe. And he, he doesn't want you and I to come to the cross. But, but even though we fight against that and we do and we accept Jesus as our Savior, we can't possibly be naive enough to think that he's going to give up because he then, even though he can't possess us, because God does. His spirit now lives within us and, and the devil and the Holy Spirit cannot coincide in our heart. And so the Holy Spirit does live within us, but that doesn't mean he gives up. He will take those black claws of his and he will try to steer our, our self into all the wrong directions. Because even though he knows, he knows that he doesn't have our soul, he will do everything in his power to keep us from being effective so that other people through our lives will say, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want any part of it. So that's what his goal is. He's trying to make you and I ineffective. And when we are complaining and when we are whining and when we're down and defeated and discouraged and we have a long face and we have no victory and, and when we're bitter and when we are angry and we hate and we're divided and when we have all these kinds of things taken over, the world looks at us and we fit right in. And Satan claps. So many Christians today who are compromising and they're fitting right into the ways of the world. And no, we're supposed to stand out. Because we are new in Christ. We are listening to a whole different voice going down a whole different road in a whole different direction. Just remember that Paul is saying, I want you to have the strength and the courage and the mighty power to stand against the schemes of the devil. Do you know how Christians, how they can have their strength zapped? You know, I don't want to be negative. I just want you to be aware of what can zap your strength and my strength. We know we're Christians. We know that, that Jesus is our Savior. We know we're going to go to heaven. There's no question. But sometimes I think we, we lose our strength and we become, what they say, either burned out or we, we just become weary. Remember when Jesus said, you know, come unto me all who are weary. We come to him when we're weary. Paul even talked about weariness. Don't, don't let that get you. Don't let weariness get you and take you down that south path. When you're weary, you go to him for your strength. And why, why do we feel like our strength is zapped sometimes? And I'm going to just give you some suggestions. Sometimes it's because we've committed to too many spiritual works and good things. I mean, sometimes we have overextended ourselves, and because we want to do so many good things, and we just, we have limits, and sometimes we just overdo. And that, that we waste, it zaps our strength. Sometimes we spend way too much in conversation and talking. Way too much, way too much foolish talk. Sometimes Christians can just zap their strength when they get into arguments and debates. Sometimes your strength can be zapped when you just do nothing. You're just plain lazy. And you just don't want to work at it. Sometimes we zap our strength when, when we spend way too much time with the wrong company. Or we, we have different idols in our life. Way too much love for money and career. They, they take way too much priority. And that zaps our spiritual strength and his power within us. Sometimes I think Christians have their strength zapped when they live their life by what people think. 
They're worrying, worrying, worrying about what people think of them. Sometimes Christians' strength is zapped when you are unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Or you're, you're a part of ungodly entertainment. Your spiritual strength can be zapped when you have a wrong attitude or you're doubting God's word. So we can have strength and we can have his mighty power. We can have what it takes to make our stand. Doesn't that sound powerful? That doesn't sound weak at all. You put on the full armor of God and you have the ability and the strength and, and the power to stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Did you notice in verse 12 there, what I just read, that Paul uses such a variety of terms to refer to our spiritual enemies? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but rather against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I don't know, but it kind of shows me by the way he described it is that, you know, there's different forces and there's different levels and they each you know, know when to attack at just the right time. But no matter whether these are these spiritual enemies are are different or, or they have different levels or different different, you know, dimensions of power or whatever, the goal, their goal is the same. Paul might have used a variety of terms that refer to our spiritual enemies, but their goal is the same, and that is to knock the Christian down. They want to knock us down and defeat us so we cannot stand like a Stephen. That we, can, that we won't stand like a Paul. You know, these people have been put in to God's word as an examples of what human nature can look like when we exercise the tools God's given us. And that we can do it. I think many of us have wondered, boy, if this happened to me, I wonder if I could do that, if I could be like that. Well, see, it's time now that we learn so that when we are hit, that we know what it takes, that we don't crumble that we're letting him teach us and instruct us now how to live out Ephesians 1 to 5 and a half, that it is possible to live with such strength and in his mighty power to fight against the powers of evil that wants to take us down. Therefore, verse 13, put on the full armor of God. You know, it reminds me too of, of what Paul wrote in Romans 8, verse 38, when he was listing what can separate us from God's love. And one of the things he, he says is the principalities of darkness. I mean, you know, he uses that there is nothing when we have the power of God in us there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. And he will give us what it takes to stand against of these devil's schemes. You need to put on, that's why, therefore, you need to put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, you can stand your ground. You have applied what you have learned and you found that we are not defeated. Our victory is at the cross. 
and what Jesus has done. Jesus has already disarmed the devil. When he came out of the grave, the devil was defeated. The devil knows he really is defeated. That's why he's working so hard now. And we have to understand that truth too. The power of death and destruction in our soul was defeated when Jesus came out of the grave. And we will always have a greater power than Satan himself. Maybe you kind of knew that, but maybe you haven't been living like it. It is it's so wonderful to be able to know that we can stand our ground. And you know what we stand? I'm going to read that again. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and we never know when it is. I mean, usually I say it's every day, but sometimes it's worse than others on some days. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, Stand firm then, and then he'll go on. But do you know Do you know what we stand in? Now, we're going to talk about putting on the full armor of God, but basically the armor of God is when you know that you stand in his grace, undeserved favor. You stand in his gospel, the gospel story of what Jesus came to do and what he came and did do for you and for me. We stand in, the, in, our, in his courage and in his strength because he promised to give it when we needed it. We stand in faith. We stand in Christian freedom. We stand, we have been set free of our sins and we can live like that. We stand in Christian unity in the Lord. We stand perfect and complete in the will of God. No, I don't mean to be negative, but I want to warn you because, the, you know, Paul has warned us. Be careful, you know. I mean, he, we need warning signs because we need to not get thrown off. When you have to make a stand, that means that you're going to be attacked. There's some days that you're going to feel like you are under attack. And, and this warning is just to warn you so that you don't get frightened. You don't get to the point where you think, I can't do this. Or It's kind of like a warning. Make sure you get into your right position, that you are alert, that you don't even think about retreating. You don't even think about giving up. You're just not, you're, that's not even an option. If you're warned, then you, you won't get thrown off and you will activate God's spirit in his strength and in his power and you can stand. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. These, these visuals, I mean, you've heard this, I know you have, but you will notice that that this full armor of God covers you from head to toe. But all the armor is on the front. It's basically, it's all on the front, and you think, well, why don't I have any, any armor to, to protect my back? And because we, we should be so strong, and we should make such a a stand that there is no reason to have to have on the armor in the back because we are not ever going to give up and, and slump and turn around and run. This full armor of God is all we need and it starts by saying, picture this, you stand firm in that belt of truth. As we go through this, I guarantee you every piece of armor is Jesus. And your relationship with him. And how much you know him. How much you love him. How much you've surrendered to him. How much you're willing to hand over you in view of his grace and mercy for you. When you put this full armor of Jesus on you, you are empowered. The belt of truth is the truth. I am, Jesus said, the way, the truth, and the life. 
I am the truth. God so loved this world that he gave Jesus that whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the truth. That's why every week we say, this is my Bible. Every word is true. God wrote it. It's his, his, his instruction. It's his love letter to me on how to live victorious in this world. That's the truth. The truth of the gospel. And then he says, then, after you have buckled up with the belt of truth around your waist, then with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Put the breastplate of righteousness in place. What does the breastplate cover? It covers your heart. Your heart is where the Holy Spirit dwells. Your heart is is where he reminds you that because of what the cross did for you, you have been made right. You and I live in righteousness, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. But make sure that that breastplate is covering your heart, that you know that nothing can interfere with that heart condition. You know that there's nothing or no one that can make you right but the Lord Jesus. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, get your feet firmly planted in that firm foundation of the gospel that you know that salvation is found in none other. There is no other name under heaven by which you and I can be saved. Cut and dried. These are the terms. Your feet are firmly fitted so you don't sway when all these spiritual fads come your way. And then he talks about well, this spiritual readiness is that brings the gospel of peace. I mean, then you're living in this confidence, in this peace. And then in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. That shield of faith. What is your faith? It's. I wrote it on my paper. I wrote, the shield of faith is... I believe, I know, I'm sure. And when you have those in place, you don't, you're, that shield of faith is keeping you steady and you are not swaying with the doubts. Faith makes you sure. I believe that this Bible is true. I believe the cross worked. I know when Jesus says, that I can be saved through the blood. I know that all things work for those, work for good to those who love God. I know who I believe in and am convinced that he is able. I know. And that will extinguish any arrow that the evil one tries to throw at me. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Take the helmet of salvation. What a visual. You protect the head of yours, which is protect your mind. Protect those thoughts. Remember when Paul writes that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Our mind is critical. What we let go through our mind and what we let stay in our mind is what then permeates into our heart and then comes out in an action. So we need to make sure we have that helmet of salvation on. But have you seen so far, whether it's the belt of truth or the breastplate of righteousness or whether it was your readiness, your feet fitted in the gospel of peace or whether it's the shield of faith or whether it's the helmet of salvation, that's all Jesus. That's all what Jesus does. That's all what he did. Keep putting that on. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Boy, that sword. You know, I've heard, often heard, and you probably have too, that that is the one piece of armor that is offensive and defensive. That is a weapon that you can use to defend and for protection. The word of God, God said, 
I didn't write this book. God said he knows what's best. He created this universe. He created you. He created me. He's got a plan in motion. His will is perfect. His timing is perfect. God said. And then Paul says, and pray in the spirit. Pray in the spirit on all occasions. Pray in the spirit. What is prayer? There's so many facets to prayer, but prayer is when the Holy Spirit is connected to your spirit so that you are being run by the Holy Spirit. That's what prayer is. I know we've got the mental picture that we close our eyes and fold our hands and we talk to the Lord and we listen to him, but that's just one of the facets under the umbrella of prayer. Prayer is staying connected to God's spirit, that your spirit is connected to God's spirit. And then he says, and then pray in all different, and pray with all kinds of prayers and requests. See, there's so much, there's so much to it. And then yes, it is talking to the Lord. Yes, it is listening to him. But mostly remember that you are to pray in the spirit on all occasions. That means all the time. Never disconnect. The minute you dis disconnect from the Holy Spirit, then you are connected with self. And then guess who is running the show? And then you've lost your power. And you have lost your strength to stand against the schemes of the evil one, which is to take you down, to make you ineffective, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. I love the way Paul said that. You know, yes, it's so important that we, that we understand this for ourselves, but the idea of praying for others, that's such a beautiful way. This is the way the body works. We have to make sure that our lives are right but when our lives are right, then we find that it isn't about us. We, we care about others. Keep on praying for all the saints. And then he, he's, he's very honest. He's very honest. And I asked you a question. You know what? He asked for himself. We should be very honest and ask for our own selves. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Every time, he says, pray, please pray. He knows that he is on borrowed time now. He knows that he's not going to be alive on this earth, that he's not going to have the chances, that, that too many more chances. And so he is saying, I have to make the most of every opportunity. I don't want to waste a minute for whatever self-reason. But we should have that same kind of intenseness because none of us knows when time is up. So pray that every time I open my mouth, that I will be able to fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And we've talked about that. What's the mystery of the gospel? That he would save you and I. Why in the, why in the world would he even do that? Why would he even offer grace, undeserved favor, when we made our choice? The mystery of the gospel is his unconditional love for you and I. The mystery of the gospel is when people reject the gospel and they think that, that, that we are a bunch of nonsense because, and we're a bunch of weaklings because we've got to put ourselves under the power of God Almighty. But they, they just think, no, no, I, I have it myself. I'm strong in and of myself. The mystery of the gospel is I can't understand how in the world they could refuse something so wonderful. And that's why Paul says, make sure that you are making the story clear, that you are not, not at all afraid about what people think because time is running out. 
And like I said at the beginning, if you think the Lord is going to let people deliberately live in sin and choose to reject him and let them get away with it, they are so mistaken. And they're going to stand there and he's going to say, I never knew you. And he's going to put them in the place where he warned us he was going to put people who would not respond to the gospel. He says, I know that I am an ambassador. I'm an ambassador for Jesus and I'm in chains. And that's, and Paul is pretty much saying, and that is okay. But pray that I may declare it fearlessly. That I won't get weak. Like, like when they're, maybe when they're walking him to the guillotine. He knows that his life, I mean, we, we don't know what, what people, what the world's going to do to Christians. We just know that it's, it's just getting harder and harder. And we have heard the stories about the persecution of Christians. Paul is saying, pray, pray that I can stay brave, that I can stay so strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, that I don't let fear and those doubts come in. Verse 19 and 20 are two very powerful words. How to face the future. How to face difficult times. How to face people when you think that, you know, you don't want to be too, too holy, holy. Oh, no. We have to live our life. We wear his name. We are no longer ourselves. We belong to him. We, we do not belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus, who will give us everything we need. And then he ends with a final greeting. He says, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may know how I am and what I'm doing. Isn't that sweet? Paul knows that this Ephesus church is going to want to know what happens to Paul. He's told them enough times, hasn't he, that he's a prisoner, and he's a prisoner for the gospel, and he's a prisoner for them, for the Gentiles. But it was worth it. If it wasn't for Paul, none of us would know this. And so they adore him just like we adore him and thankful for his life. And so he says, I'll make sure that my faithful servant will keep you abreast of what's happening to me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that we may encourage you. And then he ends, peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what happens when you have the fruit of Jesus coming out of you. Peace, love, faith. And then he ends, grace, grace to all. Now this is how you end a letter. Not have a nice day. <laughs> Hope you're all well. No, this is how you end a letter. Grace, undeserved favor to everyone. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus. See, grace is given to those who, who hear the gospel, like you said in Ephesians 1.13, who hear the gospel and, and have are just so taken by the love, the redemptive power. You hear the gospel story, and you, you just have to say yes. And then you're given the Holy Spirit as an inheritance for now and, and for what is to come to keep you hanging tight. This undeserved favor, grace is limitless. I, I love the song, don't you, where it says... Um, his grace has no measure. His love has no limits, but his grace has no measure. And his power has no boundaries known unto men. And that kind of power can live within you and I. Grace to all, all of you 
who love. You love the Lord Jesus, and you said yes to him, and he now has just welcomed you and said, I now, I came so that you could have this abundant life both now and forevermore. You are now a part of the kingdom of God. It starts with a relationship with your Savior and it ends up in a glorious place called the new heaven and the new earth. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. It doesn't end. You just keep loving them. In fact, it's the opposite of dying. It just becomes more and more alive in you. The love that you have for Jesus just keeps growing and building until we meet him face to face. What a way to live. Heavenly Father, thank you for this letter to the Ephesians. Lord, we take it. You offered it and we take it. And Lord, we know we have everything we need for a victorious life. There is victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sobbed me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him. And all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory. What a way to live. He put us beneath his cleansing blood. Oh, we are so grateful for this life. In Jesus, in his name, amen.